Hey everyone, welcome to Redefining ABCD. Today's episode will be a larger than us episode, and in this segment we will talk about topics deemed controversial or stigmatized in the South Asian community. Our goal with this segment is to share many sides and voices to these topics. Welcome back to an episode of Larger Than Us. Today we're going to be talking about breaking the cycle of generational trauma with a special guest. Her name is Anjali Badrinath, and she is about to graduate with a master's in clinical mental health counseling from the College of New Jersey. And Anjali's research, advocacy, and fieldwork background is rooted in talking about the experience of South Asian first and second gen- generation immigrants, as well as the impact this experience has on the family dynamic. So in this episode, we will talk with her about her background in clinical mental health counseling and handling generational trauma, which often occurs in our South Asian community and families when working with the multiple cultures, uh, cultural backgrounds. So welcome, Anjali. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you for having me. This is such a cool opportunity. Yeah. Um, So yeah, can you just start us off to tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit more about your um, background? Um, Sure. So I'm about to graduate from my master's. So um, I wasn't always a psych major. I was a pharmacy major originally, um, which and like that whole thing of like being pressured to go into a certain field and then eventually switching to something that I did like, like that was really the big push for me to want to pursue mental health as like my overall career, because especially in the South Asian community, that happens a lot to a lot of people. And they're just living kind of these like predetermined scripted lives um, that previous generations think that we had to follow. So um, for me, like that's where that came from. So I did my undergrad in psych at Seton Hall and then I came to TCNJ to do my master's um, and I'm hoping moving forward, I can just continue this type of work because there isn't a ton of resources out there specifically for immigrant families here. And then also people still don't trust mental health services in general. So um, I'm hoping to be a part of that change. That's awesome. And can you talk us through some of the, I know you've been doing maybe some field work with your master's Mm -hmm. program um, and maybe previously as well. Can you talk us through a little bit about your, your uh, field work and your research that you're, that you've been conducting? Yeah. So um, my field work, I'm doing internship right now. So I do see clients and um, you know, I have like cases that I've been seeing for several months now. Um, So that has been really nice just to have like that real world experience of talking to people and seeing what it is that they are coming in for. And a lot of times generational trauma is like the root of most people's issues. They don't even realize it, but it's, you know, things that happen in their childhood, things that happen to their parents in their childhood, and that just keeps moving forward. Um, So a lot of my work is rooted in like looking into the family structure and why people behave the way that they do, Um, certain parenting styles, where that comes from. And that sort of understanding, it's an explanation, not a justification. So, you know, if, you know, previous generations do treat, you know, the children in a certain way, it doesn't mean that it's okay because they were treated in a certain way, but it does give us a little bit more of an understanding of why and gives us like a better avenue of like, where can we go from here in terms of how do we 
you know, talk to each other, how do we communicate? Um, so I really appreciate having that fieldwork aspect of it. And I'm really lucky that my research has also been um, things that I can apply in my fieldwork. So, you know, things like parenting, attachment styles, um, family structure, and just different types of counseling um, and like therapy techniques that would be helpful in real world like application. Because a lot of times I know there's like a different, like there's a gap between research and field work and it feels very separate, but I'm very happy that I'm able to combine them together. That's awesome. That's a great way of putting it. Um, it's an explanation, not a justification. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a super important thing that people should understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and out of curiosity, um, for your field work, what to, what's the typical age range of individuals that you're in or relationships that you're analyzing? Um, right now, I have as young as five all the way up to like 60. So oh, wow. it's very wide. Yeah. So I get um, people from like all different backgrounds, which is nice. Do you find like one age group being a little more difficult to kind of bring and help them identify the generational trauma versus the other? Like which one, what are some difficulties that you've faced? Difficulties are maybe easier uh, methods of kind of getting them to talk. Um, which which age range do you find it easier? Um, I would say working with adults is a little bit easier in terms of like talking about generational trauma because they're able to understand it. So putting generational trauma in words that children are able to understand or kind of getting them to like comprehend like the overall scope of it. Cause like, I don't want them to blame their parents or blame their grandparents. Like it, and then it continues that cycle of, you know, like hatred and, you know, violence or, you know, hurting each other. So it is a little bit harder when I'm working with like youth populations. Um, but it also depends on the client. Like I have some youth clients that are insanely self-aware and just very smart. And, you know, they pick it up a lot faster than like I'm even presenting it to them. And then I also have adult clients who maybe just never had the opportunity to talk about that or they get very defensive. So like once you're an adult, like you've been raised a certain way. So you don't want someone coming in and being like, oh, well, like, you know, that was really inappropriate that that happened to you or like, you know, it wasn't fair that that happened to you. And for them, it's like, well, I'm fine. Like I'm, I'm still here and that all happened to me and it's okay. Um, but like eventually they do come to a point where they realize like, you know, we're not trying to blame anyone. It's just, we're trying to get you the relief that you need. Yeah, that's, that's super important. And I know when we were talking back and forth, um, before we kind of like started scheduling our episode, uh, you mentioned that, uh, no one ever tells you how to cope with trauma, but are happy to diagnose you with such the O label. Um, and so just out of curiosity, why do you think that a path for treatment doesn't really occur for individuals in our community? And oftentimes it just stops after that label of you have this or Mm -hmm. you have your being is because of X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. Usually the label itself is just sort of an incredibly shocking thing to like hear. Um, cause in general, like just getting, you know, people in our community to go to get help and then getting told like, there's something wrong with you, which is not true. There isn't anything wrong with you. And, you know, this is the influence of years beyond you have even existed, but, um, they hear that and they kind of internalize it a little bit. And a lot of times we have to be very careful with like diagnosing that type of thing or, um, you know, like informing them like, oh, this might be something that's going on in your life because, people tend to take it different ways. Um, 
and for them it might feel like an attack on you know their childhood their parents their family structure things that have been in place for so long like tradition especially in south asian cultures like it's all rooted in you know religion and ethnicity and background so by saying like oh this was really traumatic like that this person treated you this way or that you know your community told you that this was okay um feels like a oh you're just saying my entire culture is wrong or like these are things we've been doing for like thousands and thousands of years um which is not what we're trying to do but like the way that we approach it has to be very particular so that's why you know a lot of times i see professionals maybe like telling people oh like you you definitely have trauma from this and then there's no like clear way to get help for it because um a lot of times the techniques and things that we use for trauma aren't multiculturally competent so they're made for white people so it doesn't work for a therapist to tell you oh like just cut that person off like we can't do that a lot of times we can't just cut our family members off um and maybe some people are willing to do that and that's totally fine but like the whole point of it is to try to find ways that are able to adapt to our culture and not just you know nullify it yeah, I, I think that's really important. And I think I think that also might tie into some of the fear of maybe getting help. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see, I mean, I think there's, I mean, I think with the pandemic specifically, there's so much awareness of mental health. And I think people are so willing to accept it now. But now we're at a point where everyone is willing to diagnose, but they're not willing to actually find ways to cope or process it. It's just kind of labeling it and leaving it like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that first step of even being like, okay, like maybe I need, you know, mental health support. Like that in itself feels exhausting for a lot of people. Like, okay, I did that first step and I'm done. Like that's it. Right. Um, But it's, it's really hard work coming to therapy and doing the work is a lot. And people don't realize that, um, which is why sometimes we get resistance in sessions where, you know, people aren't super willing to hear out what the therapist is trying to tell them or trying to get them to understand. Right. Um, I guess just to understand the current mental health care system, mm-hmm. can you also walk us through some of the, I don't know, different kinds of mental health resources that are available um, mm-hmm. specifically regarding trauma recovery? Um, and how can you kind of leverage a system to kind of benefit your own needs, kind of advocate for yourself in this sort of realm? Yeah. Um, So the really nice thing is, well, I'm in Jersey, so there are multiple organizations here just because the population of South Asians here is very, very high. Um, So there's a bunch of like online websites and I can give you guys a list like at the end. Um, So that might be something nice to like share. But um, those have directories of multi multiculturally competent counselors. So not necessarily counselors who are South Asian, because um, you could reach out to a South Asian counselor and that might be helpful for you um, because some people just like knowing like, oh, like they they get it. Like they've maybe experienced a similar um, sort of lifestyle or childhood. Um, but there's also other people who have like been specifically trained for this. So know that not every therapist is like trauma informed. Like that's a very specific um, like specialty. And so um, sometimes people get frustrated when they go to certain therapists to talk about trauma because they aren't entirely, you know, well-trained in how to address certain things. So I would say, keep that in mind. Um, and that is something you're going to have to advocate for yourself. Cause a lot of times it's not very clearly advertised. Um, so there are directories that like clarify that for people. Um, and then also in terms of just like getting the information. Um, so, you know, let's say like you're not super like willing to go to therapy and talk to someone, which is, it can be daunting. It's scary. So I understand that. 
um, there's a bunch of like social media resources, which I definitely would recommend because there's a lot of people who have really cool um, like Instagram pages that have super important pieces of information. It's really easy to digest because a lot of times this information is like in the form of like a research paper and that's not super accessible to the public. Like, you know, even I like struggle to read research papers and it's boring and it's hard to keep up. And um, the general public who, you know, haven't really had training in reading research papers and stuff, like it's not fair to them to have to present them this information and they don't even know how to understand it or like how to look through to pick out what's important. So, um, social media is probably like a fantastic way to get that sort of information and awareness. Kind of curious, like, cause you, okay. So you mentioned that um, it's also helpful to kind of lean on social media or lean on like maybe this uh, talking to friends or talking to family, leaning on your support system almost. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering like what your thoughts on thoughts are on like self-diagnosis. I know, like, I feel like it was something that was so frowned upon like way back when, like, pre-pandemic but something that everyone is so willing to do now like what are your thoughts on that where do you stand on it is it something that's viable or would is it preferable to actually just let the professional kind of actually diagnose you um well so I I can see why people might be doing it right because like you want an answer for why you are feeling the way that you are Um, But like, especially like if you go on TikTok, like people will say like, oh, if you do this, this and this, you probably have this. Um, And these are just random people putting out videos and then people see that and they're like, oh, I must have this. It can be really dangerous. And and it also can be a little bit invalidating to people who maybe actually really strongly have that diagnosis and are, you know, struggling with it and don't really know what to do about it. So I'm kind of in the middle. Like, I'm glad that people are being self-aware and they're trying to notice what's going on and looking into you know potential answers but I think you have to take it with a grain of salt of like if someone is saying like if you have this this and this you probably have this research it look into it if you want to but definitely don't like give it to yourself as like a full label because some people do really like internalize it as like well this is who I am now um and a lot of times it does end up getting used as like an excuse for certain things, um, for certain behaviors that are not healthy at all. Like, you know, you might be like mistreating other people in your community or your friends or your family. Um, that's not part of the diagnosis. You know, that's more of like you need to take accountability for your actions and kind of figure out you know, why you are behaving the way that you are. Yeah, that's so true. It's kind of like we don't do that with physical health, I feel like. Like when when someone says, like, I'm just going to Google WebMD, people will laugh at you. It's kind of like the calm understanding. So I, I totally understand. Like, that, that, that makes sense. And like, with especially with social media, I feel like it's so polarizing that you can get triggered very quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can lead to like, I've heard really scary stories of people going down that rabbit hole um so I guess a follow-up question to what pulling on the thread that Sneha started with self-diagnosing how what type of dialogue do you, would you recommend having with an individual that you know like needs to seek help or needs help but you don't know how to necessarily approach the individual about mm-hmm. like maybe like we can focus on trauma mm-hmm. um it's tough right it really depends on who you're talking to right so um, depending on how close you are, like whether you're comfortable bringing up certain things with them, but I would really just advise you to be direct, right? So not really like beating around the bush, like not really using like other terms or anything like that, but just kind of straightforwardly being like, you know, I'm here for you. I really want to help you. I want to support you, get you the help that you need. So what can I do, you know, as your friend, as your partner, as your family member, 
Um, cause I think, you know, finding professional help could give you like a first step. So that's usually a nice way to like phrase it of like just a first step of kind of figuring out where to go from here. So it's not a commitment of now you have to commit to therapy for like the next six months, just go talk to someone for like one session, you know, you don't have to stay. Um, and that in itself can be really helpful. Some people find, um, oh, like this is really nice to talk to somebody who's completely separate to what's going on right now, or the therapist might even like provide them with some resources for them to just kind of look at things on their own. So, um, yeah, I know it's really tough and it's weird and some people definitely, it won't go well every single time. Like some people definitely will kind of like be taken aback or they might feel as though you're kind, you're trying to invalidate what they're going through. Um, or that they're not capable of handling it on their own. And I find that that happens a lot with parents, that they have a lot of things going on and they don't want to hear their kids telling them, you should probably get some support. Um, but the framing of it is really important and kind of adapting to what they're looking for. So not telling them you need help more so, I would like to help you. I would like to be there for you. And let's take that first step together. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's a really great way of putting it. Cause I know that's like a lot of a lot of like social media see like, oh, you need therapy is like basically the dialogue that we would like people would tell us among our age. But yeah, you can't really tell it to a parent. <laughs> that would yeah. be a different dynamic right there. <laughs> um, but yeah, before we kind of go deeper into the South Asian or South Asian American community um, type of questions, just to kind of inform our listeners, can you tell us a little bit more about what clinical mental health counseling is and what like what that might look like as a person like see getting help in that type of way? Yeah, so um, clinical mental health counseling is probably like if you were to um, see like your college counselor um, or like you see a therapist like that's like through your um, like primary care physician or like there's like agencies that are just like comprised of like mental health therapists. Um, that's who you would probably see. So they deal with like day to day issues. So if like you're having kind of a more severe um, situation where you might need like hospitalization or like you need more like intensive care, um, that's not who you would see. Like this is someone that you can go to and pretty much talk about anything, right? So people think you need to have a specific problem to talk to a therapist. You can just come in and just be like, well, today kind of sucked. Like, I just want to talk about like what happened. Um, or like last week, like my boyfriend broke up with me. Like, I just want to talk to somebody about it. Like, that's totally fine. Like, they're just kind of there to help you process through day-to-day concerns. Um, but it does get confusing because there's just so many different positions and like different fields in mental health. So, um, that's a pretty easy way of looking at it. Do you think that awareness of different types of mental health, it, is that something, because I feel like out in the wild, like I, okay. So personally I've been thinking about doing therapy, but it's very difficult to understand and kind of untangle the different kinds of mental health and trying to understand like do I go to a diagnostic mental health counselor? Mm-hmm. Do I go to a psychiatrist? Do I go to a, a therapist specifically focusing on trauma? Like, wh- mm-hmm. It's very difficult for me to identify which one is right. going to help the most in a situation. Mm-hmm. I guess if, if someone else, if one of our, if how would you go about kind of untangling this if you were kind of in a similar sort of position on the other side? Yeah. Um. So like even when I was applying for like, uh, different programs like I still didn't know what the difference was like there was just so many different programs but um, like off the bat so psychiatry you would go to if you need medication 
So um, if you feel like the thing that you're dealing with is something that you, you know, a lot of times like people who have like ADHD, like they might go to a psychiatrist because they want to be prescribed something that, you know, will help them focus better. Um, so a lot of times people will see a psychiatrist and another mental health professional at the same time. So they get their medication management done and then they have someone to talk to because um, some psychiatrists don't do like the sit down therapy, like the talk therapy stuff. They're mostly focused on like the medication management, but that depends on the professional. Um, and then a psychologist, they would be um, someone who, so you could do the you know, kind of talk to them, have like regular sessions. They also do assessments. So um, sometimes they might like perform an assessment to kind of figure out, you know, where you are in like the depression scale, um, anxiety, or um, they might even administer like intelligence um, assessments. Like they might be like working through a school to see if like a child needs like additional support. Um, and then in terms of like discerning, like, do I see a therapist who has a certain specialty in something, a therapist who has training in something else? That's entirely up to you, but it, is, it can be daunting because there's just so many different options, but you need to figure out what you want to focus on. I will say um, there are some therapists that are short-term, like solution-based. So these therapists will generally have you pick one or two things that you want to focus on because it's a short amount of time. Like you get like six to eight sessions and that's the one thing that you can focus on. Some people like it because like you just like you have a solution, you figure it out, you fix it and you move on. But other people, they have things going on regularly in their life that they want to process every week and that wouldn't be super helpful. So that might be something to keep in mind in terms of, you know, if you want someone long term, like I know some people who have had clients for like six, seven years, like they've mm -hmm. just been meeting with them weekly and they're not working on anything specific. Like they're just kind of overall talking about what's going on. But um, yeah, like that general understanding of like those different types should be helpful. Um, but then after that, like you kind of have to do your own research to figure out like who might be the best option. Also, right. I will say it's okay to switch through therapists. Like if you see a couple of people and you're like, this is not really working for me, like go see someone else if you have the facilities for it. Because sometimes it might not even be the training that they have. It's just like them as a person, you guys just don't work out. And that's totally fine. I was going to say, I feel like I, with the conversations I've had with, uh, you know, friends, even Kirthi probably have had this conversation where um, I feel like it's a trial and error. You know, you kind of have mm -hmm. to allot a certain time to be like, okay, you have to understand the first therapist might not work. So, yeah. you know, you have to kind of I, be able to identify the red flags if there are any and be able to move on and keep trying until you find yeah. that one person that matches. I so, think that's definitely important. Um, but I guess kind of switching gears a little bit, mm -hmm. I, well, or maybe not, I don't know, but specifically with like South Asian American community, I think a big obstacle is this kind of internal struggle to balance two different cultures. So how do you think we can balance our self needs while maintaining familial relationships? Um, I, you touched a little bit on this, um, earlier, but can you like mm -hmm. kind of elaborate a little bit? Yeah. Um, so it's, again, really, really tough, right? Because you don't want to disappoint your parents. You don't want to disappoint your family. Because a lot of times with immigrant families, especially. So um, I find that immigrant parents are stricter than the parents who stayed in um, the country that they came from because they're coming here and they don't want to lose any of their culture. Like they're so afraid of my kids are going to they're going to school with, you know, you know, the other kids who are from different backgrounds. They're going to learn things that I don't want them to know. Um, and they're going to come home and they're going to bring those things home. They're going to ask, I want to date someone. I want to go into this field. Um, I want to do things that generally aren't like acceptable in our community. Um, and so for them, they have a much tighter 
you know, leash on their family because they want to make sure that everything stays the way that it was when they first came here, which is really difficult to do because people are going to change no matter what. That's just human nature. Um, And I think there's some sort of term for it. Like I think like some sort of like time freeze or something like that, where like they just kind of get locked in this little like time capsule of like, you know, we came here, these are the traditions I came in with and their like siblings back home have already like moved on from that. Like they're not really thinking um, the same way that they are here. Um, so it can be really difficult to kind of approach that of, you know, I understand my parents are dealing with this. They have every right to want to keep our culture, but also I want to go out and do what I want to do. Like, you know, I'm being raised here. Um, I should be able to take in both aspects and decide what works best for me. And I like to put it in terms of like, like a juggling metaphor. So you're juggling both sides, right? And Sometimes you have to realize that some things are made of crystal and some things are made of rubber. So if you have to figure out which parts are crystal and which parts are rubber. So if there's some part of, you know, I'm going to miss this like family event because I'm going to be going and doing something else that my parents didn't want me to do. Um, If I drop that ball, is that crystal or is that rubber? So is it going to bounce back? Like, am I going to be okay? Or is it going to shatter and it's never going to be put back together in the same way again? Um, And kind of figuring out your priorities with that. Most of the time, your family will come around. But I don't want to say that as a generalization for every single family. Like, there are families where, like, you know, people get disowned or they get kicked out or um, the dynamic is ruined, right? And that's a really scary thing to think of. But um, if there is even the slightest bit of, you know, space for you to think, oh, like, you know, eventually my mom will forgive me or we can have a conversation about that later on, I would say go do it. Like, go do what you want to do, because at the end of the day, you're going to be living with the consequences of your actions, right? Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, whether they're rewards or punishments, it's going to follow you in your life, not your parents. So especially with, like, these big decisions of picking a partner or picking a career, picking a house, you know, you're going to be living in that for the rest of your life. And maybe that in itself will be a little bit more scary um, thinking about than being like, oh, I'm going to piss off my parents or they're going to yell at me. That like momentary, you know, that temporary dysfunction in your family is so much more worth it for your happiness and, you know, lifelong satisfaction. That's such a great way of putting it. Um, Like if when it drops, will it be crystal or mm-hmm. would it be rubber? That's such a great thing because I think that really does sum up that that internal struggle that I feel like we all feel as Indian American or South Asian American mm-hmm. of um, wanting to. And I think it's very much like when I was in therapy, that was something that I was told aware of. You need to set boundaries. Like you can't mm-hmm. just say yes to everything. And I think that's a great way of figuring out what boundaries you do need to set. Cause for me, I felt I was like, I know I need to set boundaries, but I don't know how, cause all my life I've been saying, yes, sure. I'll do it. Yes. I'll totally mm-hmm. do it. And, so, like, I think that's a great way of trying to figure out, like, starting to figure out where do I draw draw the line and to make sure that I still look out for me. And that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. And you can do it in very small doses, right? And no one's telling you to go out immediately and be like, well, I'm doing this. Um, very tiny things of, like, you know, I'm going out with my friends tonight. Like, I'm going to stay out until a certain time instead of asking what time should I be back. Just like minor, you know, tweaks in how you speak and kind of presenting yourself as, you know, I'm an adult and I can make my decisions on my own. Do you recommend this um, type of, um, I guess, interaction or dialogue with more stricter parents? Because I feel like that's a harder challenge mm-hmm. to go over. Um, I guess someone's just like, do it my way or it's the highway. 
Um, that can be really difficult, which is why I recommend like doing like the very little like switches because eventually it kind of builds up to like a bigger conversation. Um, but sort of like negotiating, right? Of you know, up till this point, I've been like following what you've been telling me to do. Like I'd like to do A, B, and C. Um, you tell me like. It, this might be hard to have that type of conversation of asking them in a very like, cause I know sometimes like I'll have conversations with my parents and they'll be like, you're doing that therapy thing with me. Like you're talking to me, like it's like, but it's not, I'm just trying to talk to you. Um, and they view everything like in a very like clinical aspect. That's not the case at all, but like, just sort of like, okay, I want to do A, B and C. What are your concerns about this? Like, what are you worried about? Like, how can I, you know, put those fears to rest or let's compromise. Like I, I want to come back at 11. You want me to come back at like eight? Let me come back at 10 and I'll text you on my way home. Um, or like, I'll call you when like something happens. So just sort of offering your own, you know, part of it. So it's not entirely like I'm doing what I want to do and that's it. Like, I don't care about you anymore. Cause at the end of the day, parents just want to know that they're like appreciated that they still like have respect and they want to be connected um this isn't work for all parents though like I want to make that very clear right like there's some parents who are just never going to come to terms with it and then that's on you to decide am I gonna stay like this for the rest of my life or do I want to kind of break away and deal with the consequences and that's something that only you can kind of gauge and figure out whether it's worth it have you ever um kind of like seen like a family therapy session for a South Asian family kind of play out. Um, and do you think that's something that that could potentially start occurring now that I get, I don't want to generalize, but now that like, again, like that mental health sort of barrier, there's more awareness and that there's more awareness that is starting to happen in the community. Yeah. Do you think that's something that our community can start heading towards potentially in the future? I hope so. I haven't personally worked with any South Asian families, but I can't imagine that it hasn't happened at all. Um, but it is sort of like a very slow, gradual um, introduction to it. Um, especially it can start with just like, so if you're going to therapy, you can actually, so you don't have to see a family therapist for this. You can ask like, can I bring my mom in for like one session? Mm. So that could be something that you could open a conversation with with her of saying, you know, is it okay if you want to come talk? Like my therapist said that, you know, you can kind of tell me your side of things and it's like a safe space. We're not trying to yell at each other or argue with each other. And it's just the one session. Like it's not like the whole time. It's not full family therapy. Um, so that's sort of like brief family intervention. Like that can be pretty helpful and just sort of like a little like dip in the water before um, committing to the entire thing. But I haven't done it yet and I hope people are doing it. I feel like there definitely are, but um you know, that might be something that you guys might want to try or people that you know might want to try. That is an option. Yeah, that's a great segue to the next question. Um, uh, so like, I guess oftentimes as children of immigrants, we are usually the first ones to break that cycle, especially for like first generation Indian American or South Asian American. Um, and so I guess what type of conversations do you think we should have to support one another among South Asian Americans? Because like, before, like Sneha and I have talked about on the podcast, we have pretty open-minded, fluid parents, but we also have friends who have very strict parents who are not at the comfortable stage to open up or be more like aware of what's going on here versus like sticking to how things were back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you guys just opening up on your own can be very helpful. So them seeing you 
kind of share, like no pressure on them to share when you are sharing, but you know, this is what's going on in my life and um, you know, I'm feeling really vulnerable or I'm feeling really hurt right now. Um, that could be a segue into them feeling, you know, starting to feel open about it and wanting to talk about it. Um, just make sure that they understand that this is a safe space, right? You're not going to tell anyone. It's confidential. It's between you guys um, and that you're there to just listen. So not uh, solution, right? You don't want to like come up with a plan to fix it immediately because some people don't need that. Right. Like you don't want to go into problem solving mode. And I feel like a lot of people tend to do that kind of naturally. Um, and I still do that, too, like with just my own friends and family. And it's hard to kind of step out of that and be like, OK, this person just wants to rant right now. Like I don't need to jump in and try to be a hero and save everything. Um, they can just talk about it. And that in itself is like a huge weight of being able to you know, take that off and tell somebody else, especially when your parents are so strict, you might not even have the time to call someone and talk because you're in a household with them. They might be listening um, or they might be eavesdropping, not being able to write it down because, you know, they might be invading your privacy or reading your um, journals. So outside of the home, giving them that space to be like, I am very upset and this is what's going on and that's it. You don't have to step in with any sort of like specific support or help until they're ready to ask for it. And you could even tell them when you're ready, let me know. And like, we can look into options, just kind of regularly reminding them that that, that is there. That brought up a random thought in my head. Out of curiosity, how do you um, personally handle that? Because I'm sure you have a lot of friends who know your background and like what you're doing and the skills that you have basically because of the career that you're going into. How do you kind of draw that line if maybe they are looking to come to someone as a therapist but they're like oh I know my friend does this and they come to you how do you draw that line with your friends um and how do you maintain your relationships um with them knowing like with what they would typically or may bring to you Mm -hmm. um that is such a good question that's something that they actually like told us in like the very beginning of our program and I remember a professor telling me that um she on like flights like she doesn't tell the people that she's sitting next to that she's a therapist anymore because she did that once and the guy next to her like talked the entire time like it was like a five-hour flight and he just oh no unloaded so it's not even just with like your family or your friends like it's just random people like oh you're a therapist like here's everything that's going on in my life um the nice thing is my friends have kind of understood that balance like I know definitely in the beginning there was a sense and I don't even think they were doing it intentionally like they just kind of subconsciously were like oh like well she's gonna be able to listen and kind of help me through this um but we've had many conversations about it kind of just directly of you know I don't want to put myself in a position where I'm going to be your therapist right so it's also on me my responsibility to talk to you as like your friend and not as a therapist and I struggle to draw the line of Sometimes I'll hear myself talk and be like, that's something that I would have said in session, not what I would have said as like a normal human being. Um, (laughs) So that can be difficult, but also they're a lot better about like not coming to me with that intention. Um, So both of us need to be aware of that. I think, yeah, I was going to say that's, I think that's very important. I I definitely have done that in the past because I had a friend I guess I think and when I lived in New York, actually, I had a friend who was a, a ther- who was working towards becoming a therapist. And I think subconsciously, there's something in your brain that's like, oh, great, you're going to be like someone who can sit and actually listen. And that's so refreshing. And it's great. And then at one point, we actually did have we had a similar sort of conversation where it was like, you know, I really like hearing about your life. But sometimes it just feels like you're dumping things on me and expecting some sort of result. I'm like, 
you know what? You're absolutely right. I'm going to reel it back. We should talk about stupider things next time. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, following times. So I think that's, I, I think that's definitely very important. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, that's interesting. That's kind of universal. Um, I guess kind of also switching gears a little mm-hmm. bit, but going back to like the South Asian community and kind of talking to opening that conversation with older people. Mm-hmm. Um, have you do so? I find myself opening up to my parents about mental health, but also trying to open up to my younger sister, who's like nine years, 10 years younger, you know, and and even people within our family friend group who are a lot younger and trying to kind of portray mental health in a way that's approachable and like not terrifying. And, and do you think, is there, should we, or is it worth it? Is it worth it to talk to elders or just focus our energy on being good role model for younger family, or is it something that that both needs to happen kind of simultaneously? I would say you talking to elders in front of you know the youths in your life, like that in itself is being a good role model, like showing them that you can have these difficult conversations and that it's not the burden isn't entirely on you and the next generation to break the cycle and move on that you can have these conversations with your parents and that they also have some responsibility in kind of, you know, helping your mental health, helping their own mental health, take a little bit of accountability. So we're not expecting them to like magically just be like totally on board with it, but at least, you know, your younger sister seeing, oh, like mom and dad can change a little bit. Like we're not like stuck in this way. Like this isn't the way that we have to be for the rest of our lives. Change is appropriate and most times healthy. So um, I think it's really fantastic that you're thinking about like both sides and like wanting to sort of like bridge the gap of, you know, being a good role model, but also they need help at the end as well, too. Like it's not um, I like to kind of break it down. I was like, we are trying to fix, you know, the influence that previous generations had on us and kind of get ourselves the help that we need. But also we can give them help as well because they're hurting as well. They have like their own pain. Um, no, that's not your responsibility, but, you know, you have that power to kind of help them, give them that space. Um, like even with my own parents, like little things, like I started apologizing to my parents for when I would like get mad or like freak out. Like they've never apologized to me, but like when I started doing that, like they started apologizing to me. Um, so like I was modeling things for them. Like they would blow up about something and later be like, hey, like, I'm sorry, like I shouldn't have done that, which definitely wouldn't have happened like when I was younger. So um, there are little things that you can do like that to be role models for both of them. And that's really great that you guys are already thinking about that. That's a great way of thinking about it, too. I didn't really I always thought like breaking a cycle is you have to look forward and not backwards. So that's a great way. I didn't even think about that. Like, yeah, trying to have those conversations with your parents. And I've tried to have these conversations personally with my grandparents because we're like at the ripe age of marriage. So trying to like reason with them and being like, hey, I need to focus on my career. It's a little bit different here. I just can't get married and have a kid like the expectations that you would want as a grand a grandparent. So I think that's a great I think that's great that. Uh, mindset to put it into and that's really mm-hmm. cool that you were able to kind of sh- like the example that you shared with your own parents like mm-hmm. being able to model that behavior and then they also were able to reciprocate that, that that's pretty mm-hmm. awesome because I mean I, I don't know about saying but I haven't heard much in terms of conversations in that aspect of trying to mm-hmm. help heal your parents even though it is not your responsibility yeah so, 
Like yeah. if you have the energy and the time for it, I would say go for it because it makes the entire family dynamics so much nicer. Um, but know that you don't have to, right? Like don't feel bad if you can't. I feel like it's also less um, like grueling. Like it's, it feels less uh, intense. I feel like mm-hmm. in that it like little things here and there, as opposed to a giant conversation, we're right. going to talk about mental health over tea and chai or chai and, and, you know, right. potato, whatever, you know, we can't, it, it seems a little more approachable than yeah. doing it all at once, which I, I think that's, that's good. Yeah. Like modeling is probably the best way to do something without having the really awkward conversation or like worrying someone is going to like react in a certain way. Like if you just start doing it, like at first they'll probably be like, what is she doing? But eventually it'll be like, okay, well, it was kind of nice that she apologized. I think I would want to do the same. Yeah. Cause I think my biggest fear is if I were to go back and start like opening up to the, mm-hmm. like my energy to focus on helping my elder um, family members is that I might I fear I might bring up like the past too much and I know that's the biggest thing with generation trauma is you you want to get over it like even though something happened when you were like 10 or 11 or 12 that might have affected you for a very long period of time you can't bring it up again <laughs> um, so yeah do you I guess on that line though do you have any like I guess recommendations or techniques that maybe that might be good for like our listeners who fear that could be something the rabbit hole they might go down if they were to open up that conversation with someone older to them so I know a lot of times when you bring up things like oh like you did this when I was a kid a lot of times they'll be like no I didn't or like I don't remember that like or so like I'm sure you've heard that line of like um the axe forgets but the tree remembers right because the tree was the one that got hit so the scars remain but you know they don't have to remember that stuff but they're remembering their own like scars from like what their parents did and so on and so on but um like i kind of mentioned this earlier but like just in the way that you're phrasing certain things so i'm sure in elementary school you guys might have heard of like i messages or like i statements like i don't know if that's something that came up no yeah So it feels kind of cheesy of being like, I feel bad when you do this, but it's very straightforward and it takes the blame off of them. So instead of going in and being like, you did this to me, um, you behaved in a certain way and now I am like this because of that opportunity to get very defensive, to back up, to deny it, to say like, no, I didn't, you're imagining it, you're so dramatic. Um, to, you know, I feel a certain way when you behave like this, like, how would you feel if I had done the same thing to you? Or even kind of opening up conversations of like, did anything like that happen to you with your parents? Um, You know, did like grandma and grandpa, like, you know, behave in a certain way? Or like, did they show you like, this was okay to do? Um, Because that makes sense, right? Like, if you behaved in a certain way, they reacted like that, that was your model of, okay, I did something. And now you're going to talk to me like that, or, you know, behave in a certain way. so again, this is not like an end all be all for everybody, but if you have, you know, elders in your life who are kind of willing to listen at least or like a little bit, you know, pliable in terms of like they're kind of willing to look at another um, direction or thought, um, go for it. Like that is your opening, like just jump in if you can um, in like small, approachable, accessible ways. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, that's great. I, I know we're at the end of our episode um, or our last few questions. Um, so I just, in a, I guess, in continuation with recommendations and advice, um, what would what would be like the, some like a starter advice you'd give to someone who feels alone in their struggle, where maybe they're they're at the very beginning of like they've 
of identifying the mental health issues and generational trauma that they're going through and trying to identify like their support system. What what would you kind of say to them um, for those individuals who feel really alone? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure they've heard this, but you are not alone. I promise. And every time, you know, even for myself, I think like, oh, like there is no one else who's possibly experiencing something like this. Like I must be the only one. And then I find out that I'm not like there is someone with a very similar situation. Um, Like I'm sure you've seen on like social media, like people saying like, I've never had an original thought or experience in my life. You probably haven't because most people kind of have similar lifestyles. They're brought up in a certain way. You know, that's where culture comes from that, you know, we have a certain standard of how, you know, people are raised and told to behave. So um, you absolutely are not alone. And the first step in itself is finding out that you're not alone. So, you know, if that means like going through Reddit posts or like going through social media, um, talking to friends, looking online, just kind of finding a story that's similar to yours, that in itself can be kind of relieving of like, okay, like someone else has dealt with it and they're okay. Like they got through it. So it doesn't mean that there's no hope for me. Um, cause there's not a single person here that like, there's no hope for you. Like there are options and it's just a matter of like finding those options. And sometimes those options are really, really well hidden. Um, unfortunately, but you know, that's what your friends, your family, the community professionals are there to do kind of like help you find those options. That's awesome. And, and I guess what kind of advice would you give for individuals maybe, um, wanting to break the cycle of trauma in their family, but not really being able to identify what the that trauma is for themselves, and then maybe feeling the pressure of having to then teach their parents or younger, you know, um, people in their family. Start with therapy. Um, like start with talking to somebody, and it doesn't have to be a long term commitment. Like if this means just seeing your like college counselor. Like, that's totally fine. It's, like, about the self-awareness more than anything else because you can't help other people in your family if you don't even know what's going on with yourself. Right, right. So doing that, like, you know, self-awareness check of understanding your identity, um, your inner child work, you know, things with previous generations that have directly influenced you. Um, Because I'm willing to bet most people have no idea what's going on. Like, they have a perception of, you know, this is how I'm feeling. But, you know the family structure, nature versus nurture, like every single like factor that has been poured into you as a human being, those are all so important. And very rarely do we get the chance to look at it without the external pressures of, you know, this person wants me to be like this and this person wants me to be like this and society needs me to be like this. Um, So doing a lot of like introspection and figuring out, you know, where you fall in certain categories yeah, that's really great advice. Um, and with that, though, thank you so much, uh, Anjali, for coming on and having this really great discussion. I think Sneha and I both really enjoyed um, talking with you about this and learning more about your background. Uh, I think you're one of the first people that we know <laughs> in clinical mental health. So it, it was very awesome to learn more about that in different avenues. So thank you so much again for coming on. Yeah, of course. And fantastic questions. This is such a good discussion. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this episode. We're glad that you got to stick to the end. If you have any thoughts or want to share anything with us about our platform, follow us on Instagram at redefiningABCD to give us your thoughts on the episode and stay updated on our platform. And with this, we hope you all stay safe and happy, and we will see you all in the next one.